the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And it is uh, great. What a, what a weekend. Uh, what a weekend to watch and to think and to uh, pray and wonder uh, what's going to happen. Uh, obviously, Friday when the Dobbs decision came down and uh, all across the world, People were uh, having comments. Now, the media, by definition, and we've got, by the way, we've got some great guests again today. We'll we'll talk in a few moments with uh, Austin Roos, who runs CFAM, one of the, uh, I'd say, foremost experts on world um, life issues. He um, CFAM monitors the UN and other aspects of things. And so he'll be great to talk to. Also, he's been someone who's been fighting for pro-life for so long. It's got to be a wonderful time for him. And then we'll talk with Adam Rizzeri, 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 who is a a businessman and a tech guy. And he is, um, I've been waiting to talk to him. He's going to give us an update on Elon Musk buying Twitter. Um, So we'll get to all that uh, in a few moments. So this weekend, as the Dobbs decision was digested, um, you watched the media cover it as only they can. And they came working around to their narrative now, the narrative machine was in full flow, you know, big tech, big media and big government trying to come up with the path to complain about things. Now, f- about five or six or seven weeks ago, whenever the, the Alito decision leaked the first time, you may recall that for the weekend after that leak, they they mostly focused the media mostly focused on the great uh, problem that would happen in uh in this country for women that wanted an abortion they would be forced into a situation where it was criminalized and they tried for about a weekend the left and the media to to make that the story the story was going to be that uh women were going to be criminally charged for having an abortion well it lasted about a weekend because everybody said yeah that's not what's going to happen that's not what's going to happen under the law. That's not what's going to happen in our communities. It's just not going to happen. And it kind of went away. So all these weeks later, when you see the decision finally come, you know that the left and the media have been working on a narrative and they've got to get the narrative together. So let me give you a couple examples. One, very quickly, you saw them complain, the media and the big tech, big, big tech, big media, big government. So Biden did it. And then especially the media did it. And the complaint was this. Five of the six justices that formed the majority, although Chief Justice Roberts was sort of in the majority for the basics of Dobbs and upholding the Dobbs uh, law, the Mississippi, but not for the whole overturning of Roe. Uh, but, But five of the six justices were elected by presidents who did not win the popular vote. That was a talking point. George W. Bush didn't win the popular vote. Al Gore did. But George W. Bush won the Electoral College. Donald Trump did not win the popular vote. Hillary Clinton did. But Donald Trump won the uh, Electoral College. By the way, um, President Bill Clinton did not win a popular vote either. He did win a plurality. 
you know, there's always a third party candidate in his cases, uh, Perot. And so he, I think he won the presidency with 46% of the vote the first time and maybe 48% the second time. This is Bill Clinton, although only one of his picks are still in the court. That's uh, Justice Breyer, who's about to go off. So that was one talking point that was out there. Now, if you want to be radical, you can say America should get rid of the Electoral College and all the, 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 the centuries that have built up around it. If you want to be radical, you can do that. It'll never happen in our political environment because the Electoral College precisely protects the smaller states that are diffuse, that have less power. Uh, And uh, and so it is um, very uh, unlikely that you'd ever see Montana or Wyoming or anybody else sign on to the uh, smaller states, sign on to a change in the Electoral College. It protects us. But that was a talking point. I saw it on a tweet thread on Friday. Then I saw it sneaking into Politico's article, which was on Friday night. The AP story on Saturday, it was mentioned on the Sunday talk shows. This was a concerted effort. This is supposed to cast out on what happened because, well, why? Our system worked. Our system worked. Now, the second thing that was wild to watch was the rest of the world condemning uh, America for reversing the Roe v. Wade decision. And so you had people in like France, Macron, the head of France, the president of France, saying, you know, condemning America. Well, France has stricter laws on abortion than we do, than America does. In fact, America, by getting rid of Roe, we had the most, Roe v. Wade was the most dramatic access to abortion anywhere in the world. Nobody else had it like that, as liberal as we did. Because Roe was such a protection, it was like a boulder in front of any effort to limit abortion. You had to work around the boulder, and it was very difficult to get around the boulder. It's a pretty good metaphor, actually. Roe v. Wade, Doe v. Bolton, and the Casey decision were like a big boulder. And if you wanted to get past it to get some life measures through, you had to navigate around and up and over it. You couldn't just go through it. Now that boulder's gone. It's removed. And so now you can march right in. And if you want and have a majority... You can go and you can ban abortion in your state. You cannot ban abortion in your state. You can regulate uh, fetal remains in your state. You cannot regulate. The point is, and our U.S. Congress can do it too. The point is, the system is now open for real conversation, real thought, real possibilities. And, you know, let me finish with this point. What has not been covered, and we put out a piece that did cover this, what has not been covered is how poorly Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton and then Casey were, were, were construed. They're like a legal, they're like a blot on the American legal system. Now, our legal system has not been perfect. There's times where I'd say this, this, maybe this should have worked better or this situation. I'm nervous, as I've often tell you about our patent system. Seems like that's being abused. We've had too much regulatory taking by agencies, all kinds of things that you wonder if the legal system is balanced enough. But as to egregious, poorly, reasoned uh, cases, case law, and and holdings that are just made up, there's been nothing like Roe v. Wade. And the few things that were like Roe v. Wade got reversed. Dred Scott got reversed. Had to. It was just, it was terrible. And so the, the American system of law is a good system. It's the best in the world. And it's based on Judeo-Christian principles and based on the rule of law that has to do with the property rights and the contract rights and the, you know, the, the due process, all the habeas corpus, all these things that anchor the system. It was just a major, major blot on the world, on, on the American legal system for the world to see. And now we're freed up from that. 
which brings me to the, the theme I had on this, on this wink, what you need to know. It's now a time for choosing again. It's a time for choosing again. And the choosing is about choosing life. And as the argument goes forth in our communities, I was talking to one of our interns earlier. Um, he's at Hillsdale College. He said on campus, there's more pro-life a- a energy than almost any other issue. There's other issues that people care about. But, you know, that people, people are, are interested now in this question. And the media and the left is misreading what they think is the viewpoint of the American people because they are the elites. They're elites by wealth and elites by education. They think that the people view things like they do. Now, let me just drop a quick quick footnote here. This is very common. In fact, if you have children, you learn this, and then you learn it about yourself. And your whole life, in some ways, if you're a man of faith, a woman of faith, uh, if you're married, you're finding ways to adjust the following truth that is just axiomatic for everyone. How I see the world is how I think you see the world. Think about that again. How I see the world is how I think you see it too. That's the whole challenge. You know, but what were the old phrase, um, walk a mile in a man's shoes or whatever that phrase is, you know, uh, uh, see something through the eyes of another. That's actually the challenge. When you're a child, when you're, uh, you're raising children, you look at your kids and you say, how can you, how can you act like that? See that? And that's how they see things. And you have to help people and yourself. And you have to use the tools in history, faith, you know, prayer. There are a couple of good ones. Sacraments like marriage, which transform you. And you have to change the way you understand how other people see. So it is completely common for a group of people, in this case, the elites, the left-leaning elites and the establishment of the country. It's completely normal for them to be people who think that the way they see things is the way everyone else sees it. Now that's normal. What's not normal. What's abnormal is to not grow out of it. It's not to, it's to not realize it. And once you realize it, you, you try to, you work hard to change how you operate because if you operate as if the world sees things just as you see them. So if you're the liberal elites, you say, Oh, this is the end of the world. I mean, abortion rights is the greatest thing. Normal people are out there and they're saying, I don't know. I'm not sure I see that quite, you know, you're lecturing me on a woman's right to choose after my school was shut down for a year and a half, or, you know, my, my job pressured me to have uh, a vaccination or whatever it is. And then the cost of bread and milk and, and, and gasoline is through the roof. So it's a time for choosing. It's again, a time for choosing. And the choice this time is again, it's about choosing life. And we have an opportunity in this country in lots of different levels, at the state level, in the U.S. Congress, in your county council, in your city council, in your community generally, in your church, because everyone is going to be confused by the design of the media and big tech and the the narrative machine. By design, they're going to throw out, oh, it could be this. It could be that. You should be afraid. You should be worried. That's by design. And what we have to do is be the beacons of not just life, but light so that people can understand and say, huh, I'm hearing from you what I didn't hear from them. I'm seeing from you, you know, what you're doing. I'm, I'm wondering what I can be doing, how I can fit together. And it's a chance to choose life again. And 
in some ways, having come back from this blot on our American legal system, this just blood-soaked blot, which was Roe v. Wade, it's almost creates this incredible uh, blessing now, opportunity for sure, where we can choose again, choose life. We can, you know, we can make this our chance to it every in every way. So it could be legislation. It could be service. It could be just understanding. It could be prayer. It could be whatever it is. It's a wonderful opportunity. Extraordinary. And that's what's going on. So that's, and that's how a lot of, I'll tell you this, and we'll talk with Austin Roos in a minute. We'll see what he says. Uh, but that's how a lot of us feel. We feel like we've been given this great opportunity, this great moment. Uh, and now we have to seize it and go forward. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back. That's the wink for today, what you need to know. What a blessing. Uh, Austin Roos coming up next, and then we'll get an update on Elon Musk buying Twitter. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Among the people who um, probably deserve uh, thanks that you... Well, I don't know. There needs to be a list, Austin, of like all the people that have um, done so much on the pro-life effort to, you know, like remember a few years ago, New York Times did it for something. They thanked somebody and it was like a list of name after name of people who helped with the pro-life fight for years and decades laying the groundwork to make it. There's not one person that sort of pulled this off, although you certainly could say that um, appointments, you know, Mitch McConnell and uh, Donald Trump uh, get a lot of credit. But Austin Roos is our next guest. He's the president of the Center for Family and Human Rights. He's the author of the book Under Siege, No Finer Time to Be a Faithful Catholic. And uh, again, one of the people who should be thanked for years of work to help uh, get us where we are in terms of the Roe v. Wade reversal. So thank you, Austin, and welcome back. How are you? I am delighted to be with you. You know, I wrote a column a couple of months ago, uh, basically giving a hat tip to the much maligned political and legal arm of the pro-life movement. You know, the political and legal arm of the pro-life movement has come under severe attack uh, from folks. You know, you're getting too cozy with the GOP and all yeah. that kind of stuff, and you're never going to change the law. And, and, you know, this victory is a victory to everybody who's ever fought in the pro-life movement. But it's a victory of the political and legal pro-life movement. So, you know, it's like I say hats off to Leonard Leo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I texted Leonard Leo. I agree with you. I said, I said the same thing. The, the people that had the long view, right, to play this long game, and a lot of people, as you say, had a lot of opinions uh, about whether it was wise or smart or would be effective and all that. Austin, on that note, you know, I, you're, one of your expertise is the international affairs. And I watched Macron, yeah. uh, you know, um, condemning America when France, I think, and you'll correct me, has uh, they ban abortions up to 12 uh, after what, what is it after? For 12 weeks or, or no and 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 then, and then and then he's and he's condemning us but at the un of course um they're also i'm sure ramping up what's the state of the world compared to us and how and how silly is are these condemnations the u.s uh under the roe doe casey regime had as you know and your listeners know the most radical abortion regime in the world right. you know if, if if and the funny thing is and i've said this all along most Americans don't know what the laws are in Europe and around the world. And if we're, if radical feminists in the United States, if we got Francis abortion laws in the United States, they'd have an aneurysm. Guess what? They're having an aneurysm. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and it's funny to see these people overseas. I, I, I'm in a rolling 
uh, debate with some people in the UK, um, uh, they they just don't understand that this is a been returned to the democratic process just like they had, and b we're probably across the fruited plane as Rush Limbaugh used to say, going right. to end up with a compromise that you and I don't like. It's right. probably going to end up with gestational limits of 12, 15 weeks. We don't like that, but that's what they have in Europe. And so they're, they're having an aneurysm over something that they already have and that we might get. Well, exactly. That's exactly. I mean, what, one of the things I said, nothing was made illegal. What was really thrown out, which was really, and we should pause and understand it. It was such a made up thing. It really was a sort of an affront. If you went out to the world and you could go pull back, you'd look over to America and you'd say, you people have done some incredible things with inventions and with literature and with, you know, with all, you know, uh, uh, military technology. And and your legal system was also impressive. But you made that one up like you, you just made that up and you made it up in the sort of you didn't make it up so that you could. Have, and by the way, legal system is not perfect on other stuff, but you didn't make this one up, uh, America, on something minor like, you know, the Commerce Clause. You made it up on life and it was just made up. I mean, throwing out that framework, it, it, the Roe v. Wade, Doe v. Bolton is, is almost like giving us a chance to actually be legitimate. Now, as you say, we're going to have a fight over what that should look like. But that part of it, rolling back that sort of blot on America, it's, it's pretty darn important. Well, you know, the thing that, that this occurred to me just the other day when I was doing a radio interview, the exciting thing about this is that now I get to go down to the state house and lobby my state legislators and maybe make something happen. Before, right. there was this big boulder in the way called Roe v. Wade, and you could chip around the, the edges and you yeah. know, make abortion clinics you know, more like surgical centers and all that really clever stuff that the pro-lifers did in the states. But now we can go down, I can go down to my state capitol and actually lobby my legislator and try to get something done at the state level because the, this new ruling has freed us to actually have the debate. Yeah, uh, we're talking with Austin Roos again. And, and Austin, um, uh, can you um, tell me what you think uh, about the federal legislature? Same thing is true of the federal, um, the U.S. Congress now. In other words, before now, the answer, and it was true enough, but it also was an answer, political answer, was, hey, 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 Roe v. Wade's there. We're not going to do anything uh, from the federal, you know, from U.S. Congress. We, we can't do that. I mean, we, the only way we can get to is on the edges. And now, and the left knows this too, um, you, you could do something with, we, we could see leadership out of the U.S. House and U.S. Senate. And um, part of what, so first of all, what do you think the chances of that will be? And where do you think that moves? The chances of federal legislation, or at least the attempt of federal legislation, is 100%. Right. Um, uh, I mean, e- even my organization, we're, we're going to be pushing for codifying Mexico City policy uh, that says American money can't go uh, to organizations that promote or perform abortions overseas. It's generally been in the purview of an executive order, which is, you know, struck, 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 struck down by the, the Democrat president on his first day in office, and reinstituted on the first day of office of, of a Republican. But th- th- there are people right now coming up with very clever ideas at the congressional level. And the other side is, too. Right. I mean, they are going to try for a codifying Roe v. Wade in the U.S. Congress and have it signed by Biden. Guaranteed. Right. They're working on it right now. <laughs> so so this is this is this is the, this is called the democratic process. 
Yeah. Um, oh, we're talking again, Austin Roos. He's the president of the Center for Family and Human Rights. Um, so, and then this question, you mentioned earlier, the legal strategy, the political strategy all played a, a role. You watched the media coverage when the Alito decision leaked a few months ago. They tried for about a weekend to make it all about uh, criminalizing abortion for women that were raped or, or victims of incest. It didn't go anywhere and they kind of moved on and waited. Now we've seen them try to say, and they're saying it over and over again, but it doesn't look like it doesn't feel like it. I'm in St. Louis this week. I was in Washington for uh, the the uh, the Supreme Court stuff. I mean, what, they're not getting the kind of rioting they thought. And I feel like they're also not getting the kind of response from the voters. And let me put it this way. All of a sudden, pro-life voters feel like we're, we six, we're succeeding. Now we really care who the congressman and he, he, he or congresswoman is or our state rep because they're actually going to have a chance now to do a range of stuff. I, I wonder if they're misreading or attempting to misread this uh, energy level on the pro-abortion side when, in fact, it may be mixed. It may be both sides have some energy, but it's certainly not as one-sided as they want us to believe. You know... Come November, people are going to vote $5 gas. Right. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. It's like they're going to vote $5 gas. You know, the, 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 the pro-life base is going to vote like we voted. We vote pro-life. The pro-abortion base is going to vote pro-abortion. They may have added some people because they're, you know, upset and maybe energized. But you know what? It's like the regular, the typical, the average American is going to vote $5 gas. And that yeah. means that the Democrats are cooked. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, we're, Austin Roos is our guest. Let me make sure to say his website, c-fam.org, c-fam.org, the Center for Family and Human Rights. Um, one last uh, question, Austin. What will the U.N. be doing? I mean, the U.N. being doing the bidding of the left leaning Americans will be sort of. But what, what can they try to do? Will they try to do anything dramatic? Will it matter or are we are we, you know, kind of um, past that? You know, um, we're, we're going to be reporting this week on uh, the pushback that's happening from uh, UN human, human rights actors, you know, the, the response right. from those guys. And, and they're upset. Right. Um, they've been upset all along, and, and they've expressed uh, their anger. But they're really toothless. You know, the General Assembly has never agreed to an international right to abortion. The bureaucracy is going to condemn us, and who cares? Right. So, uh, so at the end of the day, you know, they're going to do a lot of belly aching. But uh, they're not going to be able to. I mean, what 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 do they think they can do? Uh, it's a it's a big zero of what of what they can do. But they're going to do an awful lot of belly aching. They're going to say the United States is out of line with the international order, which is false because now we're edging closer to being in, in line with 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 what other countries do. Yeah. So there's going to be a whole lot of belly aching, a whole lot of lying. You know, they're going to say, oh, they're going to be investigating women who have, you know, miscarriages and they're going to put women in jail. They're already saying that. So it's, it's going to be a lot of belly aching, but but Sturman uh, uh, Drong signifying nothing. <laughs> All right. Austin Roos, thank you as always. Congratulations on great uh, victories and on to the next uh, battle. C-fam.org. I'll put it up on social media. The Center for Family and Human Rights. Austin Roos. Thanks again, Austin. Thanks, pal. All right, we'll take a break, everybody, and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, back in a moment.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I have been looking forward to this conversation since last week. I got an email about it. I thought it was perfect because this is the kind of update that I know I need. I can't tell when I read the uh, the news. I can't tell when I try to parse the coverage. And so uh, I'm going to get an update on exactly what is happening with the purchase of Twitter and Elon Musk and everything as much as we can tell. Our next guest is Adam Raziri, and uh, he is the chief marketing officer at uh, the agency partner, interactive and he's been on the show before you can uh, follow him on twitter at the adam riz r-i-z-z and i'll put it all up on social media so adam first of all i did get i was texting with someone over the weekend and they pointed out to me that for about four or five days i don't know if if earlier today it changed elon musk had not tweeted he had taken a break maybe acting like a normal human being and not tweeting all the time but what is that (laughs) is that possible that that's that's part of where they are in this twitter sale and what's happening give us an update please yeah, yeah, you know, I don't know that it's actually possible for Elon to truly <laughs> be a normal human being. I mean, that guy just <laughs> he's just such a different character, you know. Um, but but definitely by taking a four-day break from Twitter, he's he's maybe trying to fool us that yeah, he's actually a human. I, I still think he's he's from somewhere else. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> you know, and you know what? He's a smart guy. We all know that. He's an innovator, he's a guy that goes uh places where some people have never been before, like parts of space right right and and i think that's what makes him really fascinating to watch now specific to the twitter deal you know he definitely he saw a problem in the market he saw a problem and an attack on free speech right right he saw that twitter and mainstream social media companies were quite literally going after conservative thought leaders and you know what there were some some studies from some of the even the woke college institutions that were certifying that much saying that conservatives are almost twice as likely to be shut down uh, for the same free speech that you'll see uh, people on the left exercise. So right. Elon's like, you know what, guys, um, I want to do some really big things here professionally, like SpaceX. We're trying to go to the Mars and beyond, right? We're trying to go to Mars and beyond. And to do so, you have to really have a diversity of thought. You have to collect different ideas from different people and make the best ideas win. But the only way that happens is if, is if free speech is actually a thing. So he was like, you know what? Let's go in. Let's buy Twitter. Let's let's break it because it's right now it's already broken. Let's let's just smash everything inside, fix it, make it better, and then reintroduce this platform to the to the world of social media and try to facilitate the same creative ideas that lead to awesome solutions, right? To to very wow. different problems. So, you know, he 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 indicated that he didn't care so much about the economics of the deal, and. I mean, he must not care so much about the economics of the deal because when you offer $44 billion to Twitter, I mean, Ed, this company is worth maybe $13.5 billion. So, right. you know, it, it's like, I, I think now we're kind of seeing Elon, you know, he's seen the dust settle. He's getting good advice from financial advisors. He, he's getting good advice from his attorneys as well. And he's like, you know what, let's, let's look under the hood here. Let's make sure we know what we're buying because, you know, right now we see Twitter's leadership team, Parag Agrawal, saying, oh, you know what, we think it's you know, only 5% of the users on the platform are fake. And Elon's like, well, wait a minute. I think maybe uh, 20% of all of your users are fake just based on my own analysis. So you right. know, what, what am I really buying here? And, you know, we've seen Twitter's leadership team already be, be smacked down for lying to the SEC for lying to shareholders about user growth, right? Last year, 2021, this company lost $200 million as a business. And, you know, Ed, like it doesn't take a a business scholar or an MBA student to know that any business has to make at least $1 to to make the wheels (laughs) turn, right? Right, right. So, you know, here's Twitter like, oh, well, we lost 200 million last year, but oh, by the way, we're definitely worth 44 billion. Right. So the, the board of directors, the Twitter shareholders, 
you know, if Elon actually does buy Twitter for $44 billion, I mean, these guys are literally like getting away with, I mean, it, the, the whole idea of like, sell it like you stole it. Like that's yeah. kind of what this is, you know? Uh, uh, um, but we're talking with, um, let me, let me pause. We're, again, we're talking with Adam, Adam Raziri and he's, uh, uh, this is in his uh, field of vision and uh, in business and, and work, but pause for one second. Um, Part of me thinks he overbid because he knew he could box them in. In other words, if he made a competitive bid at 15 billion or whatever, let's say 25, they would probably have some way to dance back and they'd say, oh, well, you know, that's not the value we think and all that. He overpaid and there's a sort of, it freezes the board. I mean, as you mentioned, the board has unanimously said we should take this sale, 44 billion. You know, I think, I guess they have to take it to the Twitter shareholders more broadly. But um, do you think, he wants it at this point. Do you think, I mean, he must, I mean, it's, it's Musk. He's, he's thinking to himself, I'll go. It is the most powerful social media tool, at least in terms of the sort of ruling class. I'm not sure that there's not other ones sure. that are more powerful. TikTok, Facebook with larger numbers of people, but in terms of influence, it's the biggest one. Is he, does he really want it? You know, I think he wants a social media platform and I think he sees, you know, just in the world of business, it's a lot less risky to go in and buy an operating business and fix it than it is to start something from scratch, right? Right. And we saw President Trump with True Social. I mean, he literally started something from scratch. And I still hope that does very, very well. But of course, there's a lot more risk there. You're starting with nothing. With Twitter, you know, I, I think he's seeing this, this company that claims to have 229 million users on it. And you think about TikTok, right? Mm -hmm. TikTok is a company that uses an algorithm that I think the Chinese military has really weaponized to, to really magnetize and grip engagement from people that are on the platform. That's what makes it so powerful. TikTok has a billion users already. I do think that Elon Musk behind the scenes at Twitter could turn that into a billion user platform. I really do. Um, but a lot has to happen for that to change. So I, I do think he wants it. I do think that he wants to have something that he can use to really he's kind of like the guard he's like the sentinel at the top of the social media platform allowing ideas that he disagrees with to flow through the to throw through, uh, through excuse me through the the world of communication but then also of course the ideas that that he does agree with and you know i think he just personally likes twitter you know he and he'll he'll invest in things that he literally thinks are cool right uh, and he does that with tesla right you'll see certain tesla designs uh go a certain direction just because he thinks it's cool um and so with twitter we've seen him battle literally with like elizabeth warren we've seen him battle with uh chechnyan warlords as well and i think that's just kind of certainly entertaining to watch but um you know elon is a guy that sometimes makes business decisions not just on logic but also on emotion and i do think that he's got some strings tied to twitter yeah it's um it i guess what what, what do you think the timeline is adam in terms of it feels like it's been going on for a few months now and i know that there's kicking the tires on this big a purchase and all but i mean is this something that will we will see resolved or uh maybe say better that we'll know is going forward in the next month or two or, or could this go on for a lot longer you know right now elon just got full access to like they call it the full fire hose of twitter's data and you think about the millions of tweets that happen per day. He now has access to basically like every tweet and he can see literally every device that is behind each tweet. So I think he's trying to see exactly how many people are actually real on Twitter. And it's definitely going to take way more than a month for him to really kind of look at all that data and understand what it means. Hmm. So, you know, I, I think this is one of those things where it's like, will it close by the end of the year? You know, is wow. it going to be like, Merry Christmas, Elon, here's your new toy. I mean, right. that, that's kind of what I see it being. Uh, because between now and then, we're going to see a couple things. We're going to see uh, Elon work to certify what he's buying. Uh, right. We're going to see uh, 
frankly, Twitter trying to sell it for as high as it can. But I, I do think that purchase price has to change a bit. Hmm. It, um, yeah, and 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 well, and but but having now said that, it probably doesn't come into play in the fall, the November elections. But it certainly comes into play by 2024. We either have a deal, and he's in there, as you say, trying to make it work uh, better or differently, or it the sale doesn't go through, and the leadership of Twitter stays the same, which we well, sort of know what that looks like. You know, Ed. One thought too is as we get closer to the midterms as well. My expectation is you're going to see a huge huge uptick, uptick in activity from bot accounts. And I think Elon's going to point to that and say, hey, guys, look, there's all this bot activity supporting all these crazy left candidates and attacking all these conservative candidates or a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. And he's going to use that to kind of drive down the price, mm. um, maybe by Christmas. Mm, interesting. All right. Well, uh, Adam Rizzeri, thank you for coming on. We'll put it all up on social media. Hey, follow him at the Adam Riz. Appreciate it. And we appreciate you watching this closely. And we'll talk again soon. Ed, thank you, sir. Thank you, Adam. We'll take a break, everybody, and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, a national volunteer organization founded by Phyllis Schlafly and continuing to uphold her legacy by opposing radical feminism and representing a traditional conservative perspective in our nation's capital. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. The biggest enemy of the pro-life movement cannot be found among those who openly declare their love for abortion. The true bane of the pro-life movement is the faction of fake pro-lifers who claim to believe in the sanctity of human life, but are only willing to vote that way with a list of exceptions. By taking these half measures, they claim that they are trying to walk the the middle-of-the-road approach to appeal to more voters, but it's simply not true, and they know it. Americans are more pro-life than ever before. The left only pushes for these exceptions because they know that appeals to emotion, not science, are their only way to win on the abortion issue. Like every pro-lifer, my heart goes out to a woman who becomes pregnant under tragic circumstances. She should be surrounded by a loving community who will walk with her through this difficult road that she has to walk. If she chooses to keep her child or makes the brave decision to pursue adoption, she should be honored and respected. Her trauma and her pain should never be discounted. However, traumatizing that woman again by pushing her to kill her child will not help her. Don't listen to the propagandists from Planned Parenthood. Abortion is a traumatic experience. The pain and regret could haunt that woman for the rest of her life. As difficult as it is to say this, there's no magic cure to take away the pain inflicted by rape. Aborting that child will not take that pain away. Instead of looking for a magic cure, we need to talk about love. Real love is coming along beside women who have been through trauma and supporting them with life-affirming choices. As Christians, we should be the first to shower them with emotional, spiritual, and physical support. Being pro-life with exceptions is to rely on cheap talking points that politicians use when a tragic problem has no easy solution. If you're pro-life, Don't cower to these talking points. You're the one offering love and acceptance. You're the one seeking what is best for hurting women. You are really pro-life. No exceptions. Thanks for listening to the Phyllis Schlafly Report. You'll be glad to know the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly continues. Upheld by Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Chairman Helen Marie Taylor, Treasurer John Schlafly, a full staff in St. Louis and our nation's capital, and thousands of citizen volunteers, her eagles, across the country. You can be part of that legacy at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. 
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, I wanted to uh, catch up here for a minute at the end of the program uh, and tell you, you know, we talked about a lot of issues. We've got a lot of things going on. And you heard my open where talking about people that are threatening other people. Well, let's finish on an upbeat note. Let's finish on what you can do, what you need to do. What you need to do is find the people in your community who are serious about and here I'm going to sound like uh, my old friend, David Lane. David Lane would use a phrase, I guess. They're serious about loving on other people. Serious about loving on other people. It feels like a phrase he would say. But w- what they're serious about is finding ways to help people, not uh, bring negativity. Well, last week or 10 days ago, I don't know how many days ago, we had our great friend Bridget Van Means out for our Collegians Summit, Phyllis Schlafly Collegians, 29th Collegians Summit, where we had all these different speakers, all these different issues. And Bridget Van Means is the CEO of Thrive St. Louis. ThriveStLouis.org is the website. I'll put it up. And what they do is they just don't mess around. They just care. They love on people. They find ways to, to, to help, especially women, although they will help the men involved in pregnancy, but they really focus on the woman. It's one of the things Bridget has taught us so much to, you know, before you're starting to talk about babies, 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 and we all believe these are babies, you got to know that there's a woman involved and the a woman is often in a vulnerable position and scared and lonely and has lots of issues. And so Thrive at St. Louis is extraordinary. It's filled with people who are not only caring, but they're also really smart. And why that's important is because they're trying to not just be sincere, they're trying to be successful. And this is a very important. You've heard me make distinctions. This is my kids get sick of this. I have, they call it dad's list, a list of uh, sayings that I say. It's not enough to be sincere. You have to be successful. In, in other words, you, you have to, and what you need to do is find the successful groups that you can especially support. Now, don't get me, don't get me wrong. If there's a pro-life group in your church and they are sincere and real and and prayerful and all, that's great. I'm not saying to shy away. What I'm saying is there are also groups that are finding ways to impact things and they're very clever. You know, another example is Vitae Foundation. Vitae Foundation was started years ago and it was very, very clever about advertising, using advertising to communicate with young people, young women especially, about their pregnancy. Now, we're talking about pro-life here. What you need to do is find these things like Thrive St. Louis. And earlier in the show, I mentioned that there have been incidents where pregnancy resource centers are defaced, vandalized. Sometimes there are violence against uh, the the people that work there, or at least fear of violence, terrorism. When you throw a Molotov cocktail up up against a pregnancy resource center, it has a, a, a terroristic element to it, I think, meaning it's meant to cause fear and terror. But back to my point. When you go to thrivestlouis.org and when you study what they're doing and look at it, uh, it's wonderful. And I mean that it's, it fills me with wonder. It fills me with wonder because their approach is about loving on people. Their approach is on prayer. Their approach is on all the kinds of things that you want to believe are good and, and important. And then they're very, very clever about how to succeed, about how to reach people. And what I want to encourage you to do, and we put it up on my social media. I was uh, texting earlier, I guess, email with uh, Gwen Kelly from our team. She said that she had posted up the Thrive, uh, Thrive, ThriveStLouis.org. And it's Thrive, the word Thrive, and then stlouis.org is their website. And we're putting it up on social media. Support these efforts. 
Support these efforts. Fine. If you can volunteer, fine. If you can support it financially, fine. There's lots of ways to support what I would say is the good guys and gals, the good people who are taking their principles, taking their beliefs, taking their commitment and putting it into action. And sometimes it takes a little bit of effort. I know that to be true. You got to kind of kick the tires. Sometimes I remember the late Phyllis Schlafly describing that you want to go and she was talking about volunteering with a campaign. So you show up at a campaign and you say, you know, I'd like to help you. I think your candidate looks like he's he or she's really good on these issues and these issues that I want to help. And then you find out that they're no, somebody on their team is not good at getting you to, to help. Well, you just got to move on. And one of the things that the late Phyllis Schlafly used to talk about is a campaign and effort has to be good at when someone comes and says, I'd like to help find a way for that person to be engaged. Well, ThriveStLouis.org, Thrive St. Louis does that. Thrive Nation is what often uh, I'll hear Bridget Van Means talk about. So find the efforts in your community, pull yourself towards them, and see if you can get an opportunity to make a difference in the lives of people around you and in the community and the efforts that are trying to make a difference. That's my tip for you. That's what you need to do. And it's incumbent upon us, as I've talked earlier about how are we going to, how in a world that's full of all this chaos and negativity, how are we going to do that? Well, we're going to sink our roots in to the truth, understand what's happening, and then we're going to build around us, find around us one, two, four, five, six, ten people and build solidarity like like a forest standing together. You're not just one tree. Sometimes you feel like that but a forest built around there. That's what we're going to do. So uh, look for those opportunities. I'll put it up on uh, on social media and on the website and uh, Thrive St. Louis. Great example of what I'm talking about and what you need to do. So there you have it. We'll take a break. When we come, we will take a break. But tomorrow we'll be back with a lot more. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Thank you to Noah Dingley, our producer, Joanna Spilger, our associate producer. And thank you for listening. Visit ProAmericaReport.com and talk to you tomorrow. America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.